church. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible and you need one, raise your hand. We have some guys that are going to get a Bible to you on the sides there. We want you to be able to follow along. We're going to go through the entirety of Mark chapter 13 this morning. While you're turning there, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer one more time. Let's bow our heads. Father, it it is true that you are a good, good father. You're the best father ever. You love us. You created us in your image, and you intend good things for us. The most important thing that I can think of about you is that you want me, that you want us that you want us to enter into and remain in and continue in a relationship with you. And when we do, we're able to look like you. The world looks at us and they don't see us, hopefully, God. They see you. Thank you. Happy Father's Day, Father of lights. Bless your word today. Teach us, Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Is he a good father? Man, God is so good. And here's the thing. You can't know if somebody's good until what? Until you get to know them. Somebody says, oh, that's a good dude, or she's a a good chick, lady. Well, I I don't know. I'll be the judge of that. (laughs) I don't know them. And this is what God's intention is for you. His intention is to show you how good he is, but we can't really understand how good he is until we start to get to know him. And that's what we do on Sunday mornings here at Paradise Calvary Chapel. We get to know him. We want to know him. We ask him, God, show yourself to us, reveal yourself. And the word of God says that when you seek him, he will reveal himself to you. That's my prayer. Every day I wake up, but especially for every service day that we get to gather together, Lord, reveal yourself to us. Show us who you are. Because as soon as you get a glimpse, as soon as you get a taste of the goodness of your Father, there's no going back. That's it. You want more, and you seek Him more, and you ask Him more. That's not so much connected to our Bible study as much as it is connected to today is Father's Day and you have a good father. Can I get a a bigger amen? Amen. You have a good father. Amen. So Mark chapter 13, this is the longest block of teaching by Jesus in the gospel of Mark. It has the most dialogue from Jesus, and we see when these kind of things happen, we see little flags, so to speak. We understand that they're more important. We need to pay better attention, not to mention that there's multiple times in this chapter where we are warned or or alerted to that we need to pay attention, that we need to watch, that we need to be ready. How many Boy Scouts do we have in the room? I was a Boy Scout. Nobody? Two? Three? What's, the, what's our motto? 
Be prepared. Right? Be prepared. Jesus wants you, in light of this morning's Bible study, to take to heart that he wants you to be prepared, to be ready. That's the overarching theme. But specifically, the reason that we're looking at chapter 13 this morning and the finishing of this kind of temple series, if you will, mini-series, this is the third week that we've been talking about the temple. What happened the first week, three weeks ago today? Jesus went, he scoped out the temple, he saw what they were doing wrong. The next day he went in and he cleansed the temple. He had his Ajax and he had some Windex and polishing. He just wanted to make everything real clean. Is that what he did? No, he didn't. Jesus recognized the deficiency, and what was the deficiency? The temple wasn't functioning the way that it was supposed to. You guys have vessels, you have things in your house that, that have a purpose, that they have a job to do. What happens if they stop doing their job? You throw it away, or you fix it. In this case, unfortunately... The temple had gotten to the point where it was not able to be fixed, unfortunately. Last week, we see Jesus dialogues with the Sanhedrin or the leadership of the temple. He spoke specifically to the three different groups of leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes, and they didn't want to hear what Jesus had to say. So Jesus addressed the money changing that was happening, the profiteering one day. The next day he addresses the leadership directly. And today, as we're going to see, the conclusion of the temple, the conclusion of Jesus' dealing with the temple <coughs> and his explanation to his disciples of what that means and what that looks like. Let's look at chapter 13, verse 1. Then as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answered and said, Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be. What happens when something is not fulfilling its function or purpose if it's not able to be fixed? It's thrown away. Now, God, in his mercy and grace, had a greater plan than what the temple was. The temple was always supposed to be temporary until the perfect sacrifice, because that's what the temple uh, symbolized, right? It was the sacrificial system of, of, of the covering of sin. It wasn't the taking away of sin. It was the covering of sin over and over and over again. But when the perfect sacrifice comes... There isn't any need for the temple anymore. If God's intention for the temple was for mankind to have a relationship with him, but that's not what was happening, God says, I've got a better way. And they were in awe at the building. How many of you guys are in awe of buildings? I'm, I like 
uh, I like buildings, and you know, you go down to the strip, and it, it, it you know, it's kind of, it feels dirty a little bit. <laughs> I, I was born here, I can say that. You see those big buildings, you know, and I remember my dad, as I was just talking to my brother about this the other day, I remember as a, as a little kid growing up, my dad said it to me more than once, but there was one time when I was a teenager that he said to me very clearly, he said a similar thing to here, kind of, he said, he, we, were, we were on a job site working construction, he said, Tim, look at down there at the, at the strip, and I said, yeah, that's really cool, it's pretty, they're building all these huge buildings, and they look really cool, he said, just remember one thing, son, Okay, they didn't build those buildings from all the winners. They built them from the losers. Don't be a loser. (laughs) Don't go down and give them your money to build more buildings because that's what they want. They want an appeal. They want it to have an appearance so that you come and give them your money. That's what you're doing. You're giving them your money. And the Temple Mount at this time, Herod was building the most glorious temple on the face of planet Earth at that time. We don't understand how magnificent it looked. It was in construction for 50 years and still was not completed when Jesus was there. It took up over 35 acres. That's 12 football fields of buildings. They had stones that were 70 feet long. The stones that are left that were still thrown down, but they're able to find today, they can, over a million pounds. A million pounds. One stone that would comprise one building. And now you see with me what the disciples are talking about. They're looking at this glorious temple, attributing to it the glory of God. And I'm sure you you are too. That In the back of their mind, they were confident that this is part of what they were going to inherit being Jesus' disciples. Because he was the Messiah. He was going to take it back. He was going to cast off the Roman oppression. He was going to restore the kingdom. That was what their expectations were for the Messiah. So as a disciple of Jesus Christ, seeing these miracles happen, seeing his connection to the people and salvation taking place, don't you think that that would be one of their expectations as well? If they were having conversations with each other and in boldness, even with Jesus himself, about who was going to be the greatest, who was going to sit on his right hand and his left, don't you think they were picking out their penthouse suites as they walked through this glorious temple mount? So what does that mean? There was an attachment for them to things, to a place that was holy, but it wasn't the best place for their hearts to be, which is also true for us, right? It's not this building. It's not those chairs that you're sitting in, but we do need some new ones. It's not how hot or how cold it is. This church is about you and about me. It's about the body. 
And if we ever get to a place where we're putting in more effort and emphasis into the building that we meet in to demonstrate to people how glorious his church is, we might find ourselves in the same kind of conundrum that the disciples found themselves in here. And Jesus doesn't rebuke them so much, right? What does Jesus rebuke? He rebukes the things. Not one stone will be left on another. It was their pride and joy. Jerusalem, the Temple Mount, it was everything. Not one stone will be left on another. Josephus, the great Jewish historian, said that the outside of the temple, they made sheets of, of gold and they sheeted gold plates, kind of like the mirage, you know, Trump Tower, except those are just windows. They use gold to put on the outside. And in the, in the middle of the day, the temple just, it reflected the light of the sun in the gold, and it just, it just shined. This is what they were looking at. They went out from the temple, and they were taking note, talking about the great things of the temple. Not, you see these great buildings, not one stone shall be left on another that shall not be thrown down. What would be the motivation for them to actually, because that sounds like a lot of work, doesn't it? I mean, for you men, what's your favorite part of construction? Demolition. <laughs> Demolition and payday. Demolition, tear it down, break it. That's what I like to do. I'm like, get the, get the artisans to come in, <laughs> the people who know what they're doing, and, and finish it, you know, put it back together. This was an army in 70 A.D. that fulfilled the prophecy of Jesus Christ that uh, under the general Titus marched into Jerusalem and raised it to the ground. They were having such issues with rebellion because of the Jews that Caesar at the time said that he didn't want anything to be left of the city. Teach these guys a lesson, completely rip it all apart. As they were uh, coming upon the city, the Roman, the, the Roman uh, army, there was one, uh, historically, from what we understand, we don't know exactly what happened, but, but based on history, there was one Roman soldier who had a little bit too much to drink and was going through. He had fire, and he accidentally lit part of the, the temple area on fire, and it burned the whole building terribly, and all of the gold that was in and around the temple melted and went into the cracks and into the very foundation of the temple. Now, what do you have to do to get gold that goes into the cracks and seeps to the bottom of the foundation? You got to take it apart. So that was one of the acts that allowed for the fulfillment of what Jesus said for the Roman army to dismantle this whole area stone by stone to be able to get all the gold that they wanted to plunder to be able to take back to Rome with them. Isn't that incredible? Stone by stone. In fact, to the point where there's people who argue, it shouldn't be an argument, right? I mean, 35 acres? <laughs> the temple itself, the glorious temple itself, there's an argument about exactly where the temple stood. They don't even know exactly where it stood. 
because of the level of destruction that took place when they raised Jerusalem. That's serious, huh? Verse 3, now as he, sat on the temp- as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? The Mount of Olives kind of gives them a bird's eye view, so to speak. It's just opposite, as the word of God said, of the temple. They're sitting up on the mountain and they're looking down at it. This is symbolic of Jesus' disconnect with the temple. He's no longer there. He left, and as he's sitting on the side of the Mount of Olives, overlooking it, as God, he's pronouncing judgment upon it. This next section of chapter 13 speaks specifically about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem and the destruction of Jerusalem. Jerusalem that will come in 70 AD, but it also is a dual prophecy. It's a double prophecy, and we'll see how and why, of not only the destruction of Jerusalem, but also the destruction of the world. If the temple and if Jerusalem could get to the place where it wasn't fulfilling its function anymore, my question is, I wonder, and I don't know if you wonder as well, But does the judgment of God on the world happen because the world no longer fulfills its purpose? The plan of God is still to have reconciliation of mankind to himself. And we know that it's going to get so bad. We're going to read today. It's going to get so bad that that if God didn't stop it, all flesh would be annihilated. It's going to get so bad. So let's continue to read and see what he says. First thing you, I want you to take note, if you're taking notes, there's two different prophecies that we're talking about. And as we read, there's two different kinds of indicators that tell us whether Jesus is talking about the temple age of destruction, the immediate future, or the uh, end of the world in the future, we would say is the ultimate future. So the immediate future that he addresses is that of Jerusalem and its destruction in 70 AD. Whenever he talks about those things, he references by saying, chapter 4, they, or uh, verse 4, they said, tell us, when will these things be? And he also says, what is the sign that these things will be fulfilled? So whenever, talks, whenever Jesus talks about these things being fulfilled, meaning the immediate future, he's talking about Jerusalem. Whenever he's talking about the end of the world, he uses a different phrase. He says, those days. When he says those days, he's not talking about the immediate future. He's talking about the ultimate future. So take note, as we read, he goes back and forth four times. These days, those days, these days, those days. So it's clear to us exactly what Jesus is talking about. What will be the sign when these things will be fulfilled? And Jesus answered them saying and began to say, take heed that no one deceives you. You guys circle that. Man, I hope we get through this study today. One verse at a time. Guys, listen, don't be deceived. Make sure that nobody deceives you. You know why? Because the enemy, he's a deceiver. What does to deceive mean? It means you think something's true and actually it's not. Something else is true. 
And the first line that Jesus opens up with, speaking specifically about the temple, the immediate future, he says, don't be deceived. Many people are going to be deceived. Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, (coughs) and deceive many. But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled, for such things must happen. But the end is not yet. For a nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines and troubles. They, these are the beginning of sorrows. But watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony to them. Circle that too. You know, when you go through trial and difficulty, let me tell you something. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Don't get mad when you get to stand before your boss. (laughs) When you get to stand before the president of the country, when you get to stand before somebody in some kind of authority, God has allowed you to get to that place so that you can be a testimony of him. You guys remember Pastor John Michaels? That's where I got growed up in the faith. Pastor John's teaching through the Bibles. He, he, the Bibles. <laughs> the Bible. He would tell these stories of how there was this one point in his life where there, he was going to the Pacific Islands, I believe, and, and he, he had uh, opportunity to, to speak to the kings of these countries. And some of them opened up their countries to Christianity because of the conversations that he had with them. Can you believe that? That's incredible. So whether you're on a plane with, with, uh, with the money that you use to purchase a ticket to go to another country to, to testify of the Lord Jesus Christ, or you're in chains on a plane flying somewhere that you don't know what your fate is in, in regards to that person and place, know this. No matter how difficult it gets, no matter... What happens, God's intention is for you to be able to testify of him to those people, to that person. That's a great privilege that we get. I want to talk about my God. He's a good God. He's a good father. In the midst of this time of of persecution, great persecution for the disciples of that day, Jesus warning them, saying, things are going to get tough, guys, but it's okay. When things are hard, I put you there so that you can let other people know about me. So that you, with me, and hopefully them, can step into eternity. Because right now, this is just nothing. 50, 60, 70, 80 years? Who cares? Eternity. And God's intention and desire is for people to be able to take part of that too. Not the idea of just living forever, because who cares about that too? It's who you get to live forever with. 
God, your creator, who loves you. He says, it's going to get tough, guys. But you were brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony to them. And the gospel must first, must first be preached to all nations. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Now brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will raise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my namesake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. No Christian, if they are a genuine, true believer of Jesus Christ, expects there or should expect there not to be some kind of persecution or tribulation because of their faith. We are not only directed that it will happen. Stop and listen to this, okay? We're not only directed that it will or directed that it will happen, but we are prepared and we are equipped to handle it when it does. That's a great comfort for me because I worry about what I say. I worry about what, I, what I'm going to say when I talk to a president or a king, you know. I, I have a, a problem, you know, it's probably not a good idea or, or to say in church, but when, whenever I meet somebody who is of some kind of status, I tend to have diarrhea of the mouth, you know, it, it just, just keeps coming out. I'm like, why am I saying all this stuff, you know? And they're like, mm, I don't know, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? You know, and I don't want there to be silence because silence is awkward and this is the king and what am I going to do? And Jesus says, you're going to be equipped for it. Don't worry, persecution is going to come. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be tribulation. But when it does come, God's going to equip you with what you need to say in that very hour. Yes. Now there's nothing to worry about except being persecuted. Nobody wants to be persecuted. Jesus. Hey, listen. The servant is not greater than his master, right? If our Lord and Savior was persecuted to the point of even being crucified and murdered, I'm not any better than that. And by the grace of God, that doesn't even happen to the majority of us. It does happen on a, on a somber note. It does happen to some Christians around the world right now. Today, there could be somebody who's living these very verses. Could you imagine that? They're living these verses right now. And they're taking confidence in the word of God and saying to themselves, praise be to God, I don't have to worry what I'm going to say right before they take my life or right when they make me stand before a council because the Holy Spirit is going to speak for me. By the grace of God, He equips us, He prepares us, He warns us. This is the first section. And again, like I said, this is the the, uh, specific instructions about the temple and the the destruction in 70 AD that is to come. And now we're going to switch gears from verse 14. We're going to go into the end times eschatology. We're going to look at the end of the world. Jesus is going to address as well. Verse 14. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, the prophet standing where it ought not 
let the reader understand. Those are in parentheses. And it is, interestingly, if you can see, you have a red-letter Bible with the words of Jesus. You can see that that is not in red. It's in black. Mark and Peter, whoever was involved in writing the Gospel of Mark, really wants people to get it. Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down into the house, nor enter to take anything out of the house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter, for in those days there will be tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of creation, which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. Did you guys see the key word? You circle it. Verse 19, for in what days? For in those days. What's Jesus talking about? The ultimate future. This is him switching, and he started in in verse 14, from the immediate future to the ultimate future. In those days there will be tribulation such as not been since the beginning of creation, which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. Now, if this was him talking about the time of the temple, right, the destruction of the temple, it wouldn't make sense, would it? Because it's not the ultimate worst tribulation the world has ever experienced. That time is yet to come, and we haven't experienced it yet. In verse 20, And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he chose, he shortened the days. Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, he is there, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive. If possible, even the elect. But take heed, see, I have told you all things beforehand. Things are going to get so bad that unless God shortened the number of days during that time, no flesh would have survived. I believe, and you know, there's, there's many different facets to this, Unfortunately, we can't really dive in and do an in-depth study of, of eschatology, the end times today. We're just going to look at how it plugs in temple-wise and, and end-of-the-world-wise to where we are in the Gospel of Mark. But I believe this difficulty, this tribulation, before, before God has to intervene, this is mankind doing this to themselves, Do you realize right now that if one country pushes that red button with the codes and everything, one country, do you realize at least, probably at least five other countries are like, fine, boom, we're doing it too. What happens? It's not just one, it's not just one country that's going to feel the effects of that button. It's going to be the entire world, not to mention the fallout, literally. And there's so much talk, you know, again, Jesus is addressing this, and I want you guys to understand this this morning, because you know me. I'm not a fear-mongering pastor like there are many in the world. 
we take this information so that we can be prepared, so that we can be surprised. I used to have Christians say to me, can you believe the crazy things that are happening in the world right now? I'm like, yeah. Can you believe like uh, it's possible any moment, from, any moment for the end of the world to come? Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm not surprised. What do you mean you're not surprised? It's so wicked and sinful. Yeah. yeah. The Bible says that that's what's going to happen. So I don't know if it's going to happen when I'm alive, but, but I'm sure that, that as time goes by, Jesus' words are going to be fulfilled and it's going to get worse and worse. You know, the majority of the bad things that happen in the world have nothing to do with God. It's people killing each other. We can't stand each other. We're right. Everybody else is wrong. Jesus says, Love your enemy. The world says, nuke your enemy. What's going to happen? You think love is going to (laughs) win? It is, ultimately. And it's our job, our duty to be prepared. We're not having bunkers and, and this stuff ready so we can make it literally through the fallout. We're confident that we're going to be in the right place to be a witness for the Lord. So when things start to happen, we can say, you, with me, together, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. God's word said that this is what was going to happen. And it's not even his doing. I really dislike it. I don't, I don't appreciate. This is just a little bit of my personality coming out. I apologize. Personal opinion, you know. I don't like it when I hear these pastors or godly men attributing atrocities to God. This hurricane comes through the judgment of God on homosexuals. You know what? Shut up. Bad stuff happens all over the world. And our God is a God of love and he does everything that he can. He has done. He will do. At the end, he will have angels flying through the air, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, giving you one last opportunity before the end comes. Do you think that sounds like a, like a vengeful God? Turn me down a little for the next two minutes. <laughs> do you think it sounds like a vengeful God? It doesn't to me. It sounds like a God of love who wants people to come to an understanding of what their purpose is. God wants us to understand that. And we have to be in the place today that we know tribulation's coming and we take Jesus at his word and we say, God, we want to be prepared. We want to be ready. We don't want to be scared. Stop the fear-mongering. Stop the, the... The worldly mentality of preparedness. That's not the kind of preparedness that Jesus is talking about. It's a spiritual preparedness. It's a position. It's a place that we're in. So we're ready for whatever happens today. You notice that I didn't say whatever happens tomorrow because it doesn't matter. Whatever happens today. Lord, what do you got on the agenda for Sunday, the June 18th, 152 degrees outside? It's one o'clock after church. What's on the agenda today? Because he's got something for you on the agenda. God, use us, help us 
Teach us today to be prepared for whatever today has. Take heed, see, I have told you all things beforehand. <laughs> Circle it, underline it. Hey, pay attention, guys, because uh, I, I, told you, I told you ahead of time, right? Don't be, don't be crying that you didn't know because you, you should have known. But in those days, again, key word, if you want, and you're following along, taking notes, you can circle that. In those days, what's he talking about? Is he talking about immediate or ultimate? Ultimate. In those days after that, tribulation, sun will be darkened, and the moon not given, will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall, and the powers in heaven shall be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And when he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest part of the earth to the furthest part of heaven. What is the, the, the anticipation of all of these things happening in those days? Jesus says, take heed. I want you to understand. I want your hope to be in. I'm coming. And when things seem like they're at their worst, and when difficulties surround you, and this, the, there's no sun or moon, and the stars are falling to earth, and, and, and the, the earth is being torn asunder, that's when you can look up in confidence and know that I am coming for you. I'm coming to gather you. See, the judgment of God is not for His church. The judgment of God is for those who reject God, even though he's done everything he can to reach out to them. It's saying the world has fulfilled its purpose. Its season is now over, and I am coming for my own to gather them to live with me for all of eternity. This is taking a little bit longer than I thought. Verse 28 Shifting gears back again to immediate. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that it is near. What things? These things. What, what future? Immediate, ultimate. Immediate. When you see these things happening, that was our question. What are we going to see? What are the signs of these things? And he says, when, when, when the, the tree is, is in the early summertime, when it's giving, uh, not birth, I was going to say birth, trees don't birth, do they? Budding, budding forth, right? You'll know that these things are soon, that it's, it's going to happen very quickly. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So we see he says these things to transition back again to immediate future. He's talking about the temple and the judgment of Jerusalem, right? And he's saying that just like you see the, the fig tree, when it buds, it becomes tender and puts, for, puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. Same with these things. And he says this generation will by no means pass away. So we know, I mean, just by that, that he's not talking about ultimate, right? He's talking about them. A lot of people were confused by that verse. Like, what does that mean? Like, that was... 2,000 years ago, Jesus, that generation never passed away until the judgment of God on the whole world. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about Jerusalem. And that generation 
very well did experience exactly what Jesus said that they were going to. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to keep watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming in that evening at midnight or the crowing of the rooster or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he finds you sleeping. And, I, and what I say to you, I say to all, watch, watch. We can see now. As a church today, we look at the world and we're watching, right? We can see things happening. It may not be the end yet, but the branch is tender and the leaves are starting to come out. We can take note that something is going to happen. And Jesus doesn't give us these instructions so that we are able to prepare physically. He gives us these instructions so that we can prepare mentally. We can prepare emotionally. We can be prepared and in a place so that when it starts to happen, when it starts to come, we are not surprised. We are not sleeping. And we are anticipating His coming instead of wondering what's going to happen with judgments. It's an anticipation. Jesus is coming back. And although it's going to be difficult, although it's going to be hard, He wants us to take confidence in that He loves us, His intentions are for us, and He's coming back for us. He's coming back. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for being so clear in teaching us these things. Many things You taught in parables, you taught as mystery. Some things we still don't know if we fully understand, but these specific things you, you teach very clearly to us. And we thank you for it. We want to be prepared. We want to be prepared to be used by you to testify of your goodness, to testify of your mercy to testify of your grace, to testify of eternity. Father, just like your word says, give us the words that we need to speak of you, not just in tribulation, but at all times, whoever we get to talk to. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.